You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Heard Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Heard Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Heard. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Jason. Hey. Oh, man. <laughs> Switched it. Oh. Reverse, reverse. Hey, 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 hey. And uh, Nick will be here shortly. He's running late, as he tends to do. And our special guest, the owner of the Peacock Room, Yama Frida. It's a little... Not a little. It's not little at all. It's a Detroit retail <laughs> empire. Right? Let's call it what it is. Rachel Lutz. Thanks for having me. Thank I'm only welcome. here because I was promised champagne. It's not <laughs> here yet. I know. It's so. running late as so usual. Yeah, so um, Vato, uh, you were just talking about eggnog and your passion about it. So let's talk about eggnog for a second. Not, not everyone likes it. I, I hate it. I, yeah. I'll be honest with you. I don't like it at all. Not um, a fan. <laughs> not a fan except eggnog ice cream. Okay. Oh, I, yeah. yeah, Clark's eggnog, or yeah, Clark's eggnog yeah. ice cream. I love it. I yeah. did have an eggnog macaroon the other day at uh, Great Lakes. You know, they carry all those macaroons. And it was pretty good. I mean, it's seasonally relevant, right? Yeah. Eggnog is. So yeah. you, you, I mean, there's Calder, there's Guernsey. Um, I do. I just do organic. Okay. The organic brand. I, I I like that. I think Calder's a little too thick. Okay. Uh, uh, not Calder. I'm sorry. Guernsey to me when I've had it was a little too thick. Okay. I mean, cut that with bourbon, right? Yeah, so <laughs> you can cut it all with bourbon. So that's so that's the question, like, and you know, me not being in, uh, you know, in the bar scene heavily, uh, I was like wondering like what to put in it. So I, you know, did my random Google searches and whatnot, and I bounced between putting bourbon in, and I think I've landed on uh, putting uh, a mix. Uh, I would say about two thirds spice rum to a third of uh, like Christian Brothers, and I. I think it tastes delicious. I don't know. Maybe just because this episode brought to you by Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I went, uh, as that was the only, um, uh, you know, cognac that I think whole foods had. Hmm. And, uh, the Sailor Jerry was the cheapest <laughs> dark rum. <laughs> the, I mean, it was Mad it? Dog Twenty Twenty <laughs> right. rum. So, so you're go, you're going organic eggnog, but you're buying cheap rum and cheap cognac. Is that what I'm getting at? Is well, I mean, what I'm cheap, gathering? It's cheap for a Whole Foods. <laughs> Here I am on my elitist pedestal of like grocery shopping. I'm, I mean, it's not five o'clock, right? But uh, I thought it was really, really good. But I have gone back and forth between just putting in bourbon into it and then. I think a long time ago in college or something, I might have bought the pre-mixed, you know, stuff that you get at the party stores, and I would probably suggest that. But again, I think Christian Brothers makes an eggnog. <laughs> That's Christian Brothers and and uh, cognac. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know like what the right thing is, and, and Google's all over the place with it between different things to do. But um, there, there is a really famous Alton Brown recipe online for eggnog that you can uh, find very easily. It's Google Alton Brown eggnog, and um, supposedly you can age it for long periods of time if you're you're into that sort of thing, hmm. um, and, and bottle it and all that. Now, this leads me to a question for Rachel because I feel like bottled eggnog, if you make it at home and it tastes really good. Bring it to someone's house as a gift, right? Mm-hmm. Now, my point of view with gifts: to if you're invited to a party or something, you bring you bring something that you love as, and you want to share it with someone else. So, for example, I went to a friend's house last weekend, um, and I noticed there was a bottle of uh, was at the store buying a bottle of bourbon, and I was like, "Oh, there's a bottle of Glenfiddich IPA cask. I love that. I'm going to bring it to this person and give it to him as a gift. Just something that I sharing something I love, you know." Um, I I, well, I don't party, know. If, first party you came over to my house, you brought a gigantic box of Eckerd's meat pies and pastries. Oh, you're immediately invited to my house next. <laughs> <laughs> so, but they what, freeze well, by the way. And what is the gift giving kind of protocol? Like, do you do you bring something you love? Do you try to bring something you think the other person will love? I think it's always a courtesy to try to anticipate what their reaction will be. Um, I think that the number one rule is don't show up empty handed. Did your parents raise you in a barn? <laughs> show up. In, in fact, you know what? I always say have something stashed before the holidays. Um, I actually made a run to Accurates and I got like some fancy marmalades and some spice rubs. And, you know, those are the types of things that you can just put a ribbon on keep one in your car and uh, not don't don't freeze the marmalade in this Michigan weather. <laughs> no, no. Um, but keep something on hand because you never know where you're going to show up. You never know if you're going to pass by somebody that, you know, you wanted to give them a little something like a security guard in your building or your mail carrier. You never know when you're going to be shorthanded for something, but especially if you show up to someone's house, I think that you should always have something. So some folks like to bring a bottle. Um, I like to bring something that lasts longer. So, you know, a fancy box of chocolates and a ridiculously opulent tin, um, you know, some some Gus and Gray preserves, you know, something something locally made. And it doesn't have to be expensive. It can be the same as, you know, a relatively inexpensive bottle of wine. But something maybe that they wouldn't normally buy, but something that they might appreciate. Maybe you can introduce them to a new favorite. So if you notice that they really love gin, maybe pick something, you know, a little bit different that they might not have experienced before. But definitely put some thought into the receiver, you know, if if you go into somebody's minimalist home and you're bringing, you know, some weird fancy vase that you regifted from your Aunt Bertha, <laughs> probably not for them. Um, so put thought into it, but definitely introduce them to something new. Don't be predictable. Are, are, are you doing this uh, if you have to bring your own booze to the party? You can bring your own booze. You should also bring I'm a just, little something. I'm just like, you know, if you have to show up at a party and it's like, oh, man, you should have ate before you got here because we don't have any food. And you, have to bring, <laughs> you, know, you bring your own booze. We're just supplying the space. No one is. If you bring a bottle or you bring a gift, the host is not obligated to open it while you're there. I think that you should bring the hostess gift for the host or hostess. Mm. Um, if they want you to consume booze then bring your booze and consume it, but bring a little something extra. They they went through the trouble of hosting you. Give them something to keep at the end of the night. Now, are, are At the Peacock Room, Yama, Frida, are, these, are there hosts 
or hostess gifts available? Well, yes, I'm glad you asked, Joe. <laughs> um, yeah, we have like sets of coasters. We have flasks. We have. Um, we're actually getting in these beautiful tins from Lewis Sherry. It's a a confectioner on the East Coast, and out of these tins that look like you know those old hundred year old Whitman tins. Um, so that's something that they can keep after they consume this amazing chocolate. So yeah, we, we always, even though we're known mostly for women's apparel, we do have those little grab and go gifty things that you can give to anybody. And, and can we talk about the, the genesis of these uh, peacock room and, and these ideas? So retail in Detroit is something that has been kind of lamented for years, right? There's, there's definitely an under met need. And so what gave you – was that the, the kind of key inspiration for your first – your first location in the Park Shelton, correct? We're in the Park Shelton, which is right next to the DIA okay. on Woodward in Midtown. And my inspiration for opening the first store was that I hate shopping and I don't like the fashion industry. So <laughs> it's a little unlikely that I would have clothing stores, but I really tried to create a store around – um, what was really disappearing from retail? I did not follow the traditional formula. I should say the new formula of retail, which is slashing your inventory, cutting the visual pleasure when you walk in a store, cutting service. We actually went in the opposite direction. So we wanted to bring back what the Hudson's or Jacobson's experience offered. Um, and that's really what Detroit's uh, shopping culture was built on was service and interesting product. So when people come in the shop, they actually say, you know, oh, this reminds me of going to Hudson's downtown for shopping with my mother. And she'd put on her gloves and her lipstick and we go see Santa and we hear all these really wonderful stories. So um, the Peacock Room is pretty vintage inspired because it's in an old 1920s luxury hotel. We're actually in the same building as Chartreuse. Mm -hmm. um, but the newer stores, Frida and Yama, Frida's more casual eclectic, Yama's more modern, contemporary, edgy. Yeah. And so th this kind of movement away from hospitality and retail, like the, the, it's a the big bi mistake. Why, why do you think it's happening? I think it's happening because you have a bunch of executives and boardrooms making decisions on spreadsheets. And I'm sure that you know in the hospitality industry, how can you really quantify service? Um, you can, you know, make a matrix about it. You can, you can make it into a spreadsheet, but it really sucks all the life and sexiness out of an experience. You really want to focus on the experience first. Then I think revenue and profit can follow. But I think that you can't go wrong with putting service as the foundation of your business. So I, I struggle to even think like, what the Target or uh, Macy's or like what what the service expectation even is for the shopper that walks in there. It's to eventually so, ring something at a register and maybe shove it in a bag. That's exactly <laughs> They don't even right. give you tissue paper anymore. No. And, yeah. and a lot of the times at Target, for example, I don't talk to anyone because I can ring myself up. Yeah. Um, so – so when you're dealing with so, such low expectations, do you ever find people walking into your store and like thinking the opposite? Like, what the hell is going on? Why? Why? Why is? Why are these people so nice? It's so. It, it's a fine line sometimes. Yeah, because, to me that can be a little off-putting. Oh, totally. No, that that actually goes into part of our training because customers have been conditioned absolutely to be treated like cattle and ignored. When someone pays attention to you, it's almost like you're suspicious. Like, why is that person being nice to me? 
Um, or, you know, do, do they think I'm trying to steal something? Is that why they're interacting with me? Right. And it, it's really kind of sad that we have to, um, sometimes we have to fight customers like, hey, I'd love to put that in a fitting room for you so you don't have to carry it on your arm. Oh, no, I don't want you to work. Really? Because that's why we're here. <laughs> we are here to serve you. So it's almost like we've had to recondition our customer base to be served. And once they allow us to do that, it's just such a wonderful experience. To me, I feel like, uh, you know, if you think about the online experience and how – I don't know if the how people got conditioned, but that could be a component of it. To me, like Macy's, I think about – and as a 39 years old and thinking about – Macy's for me as a younger person used to be like a little bit out of our price range from like the lower end of the economic spectrum, right? Like TJ Maxx, you're looking for value places. Macy's to me seemed like, wow, this is a really great experience. Things never really went on sale for the most part. Um, And then at some point it turned into like essentially TJ Maxx, like things are always Mm -hmm. on sale. Every single weekend there's a sale. You go there, the service is really horrible, but at the same time, those, I feel like, those two go hand in hand, by the way. What do you think you're saving money on? It's the staff. Right. So, but do you think that they're doing that? I don't know. I guess when you're talking about the spreadsheets, my question is, um, you know, because people have become so self-reliant to shop online, right? Like I can go on Google and I know clothes are a little bit different because they're form fitting or whatever. And people, you know, uh, sometimes need to feel comfortable. But in general, generally speaking, people are so, it's so easy to go and shop online that I've noticed that in myself. Like I don't, I guess I'm willing to accept the less service, even though I grumble about it. I go to Macy's and Mm -hmm. I go, wow, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never gotten these clothes that are now always 30% off. Granted, I have to like search through everything. Nobody's helping me out. You know, even the one at like Fairlane that I go to, you know, uh, oh, fairly. Yeah. That's, it's, it's that's, you know, good I, heaven. I, I well, take, they closed the one, I think, in Westland. I could take you back to some Fairlane stories. You know, <laughs> but like they don't even, they don't even staff all of the registers. So you've got to like, they've got now some of the um, changing rooms, not mm-hmm. even all the changing rooms are open. They've got some of those shut off. So it's, uh, oh, and, and actually at Macy's, I was there and they actually have a sign at their fitting room saying basically to, clean up after to put your clothing on a certain rack so that you can make their job easier which to me that's not hospitality asking your guests to do the work you know your your guests can wander into your kitchen to help with dishes but you don't ask them to do that and that's kind of what it felt like so are those fines that you're finding really 30% off or are they actually around the price that they should be but they inflated the price to mark it down and give you the perception of saving money so that's another thing that I think is inhospitable, especially in retail, is inflating your prices to discount them. And what you're doing is you're miseducating a customer on what the true value of something is. I walk into some of those stores with the huge discounts and I look at the suggested retail price. I don't know if you can see my air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'm a retailer. I know what a true retail value is. And those prices are clearly, you mm. know, made up. Um, I do think that, I do think that online shopping, there's the perception sometimes that you're saving money or time, but with clothing, for example, um, and you're right, clothing is very difficult to shop online well. Um, really what you don't know is, 
you know, how does the fabric lay? How does it fit on you? Is the zipper cheap? Is the embroidery, you know, going to, is that going to wash out? Is the color going to wash out? Are the sequins going to fall off easily? So when I buy from my store, I actually do not buy online. I have to travel out of state usually, sometimes out of the country to really experience what I'm buying because otherwise you never know what shows up. It's just like if I was a private consumer. Well, that's a, I mean, then that goes into the idea that like with the H&M and like the, you know, some some people don't care as much because the cycle has increased so quickly. I mean, also going back to thinking back to like the Macy's and like the seasonality and Fast when fashion. you would, yeah, and then when you would be like, you know, when we shopped, it was like, ooh, I was always happy to get things after season that were marked down. You wouldn't have the same selection, but like that's how you would get some of the brands that were a little bit out of your price range. And so, yeah, now it's like you think about just things are perceived to be disposable. You don't expect them to be because there's going to be something else, right, right and, behind it. And the brands that you expect to buy that you can now afford, a lot of that is by design from those companies. So mm. 85% of what ends up at an outlet store was designed and made for an outlet store. With the flaws. With the Well, not necessarily with flaws. Uh, that's among the 15% that ends up there by mm. accident or not by design. But the 85% of goods at those outlet malls or outlet uh um, outlet shelves, even like Macy's Last Act, for example, like let's say it's a – I'm just throwing a name on here, like a Ralph Lauren piece. The lining might be polyester instead of silk or mm. they might have substituted a whole different fabric mm -hmm. altogether or they may have made a less detailed cut of it. And to the customer, they may not – see the difference. They just see a slight reduction in price or a significant reduction in price, but it's a totally different product. And it yeah. was it was altered for the secondary market. I see that at Joseph A. Bank, for example, where you go to Joseph A. Bank in the outlet or Great Lakes Crossing or something like that, and it's totally nothing that you'd find at a regular uh, bank store. It you know, probably was never at a regular bank store. Right. Yeah. And to go back to Fairlane, I got to throw this out. I don't know <laughs> if you know, Fairlane used to have a, a skating rink. Interesting. So really? I, because I grew up down the street and we go to Fairlane all the time. It would be one of those things where you're going to drop the, me and my friend off and we go play. So, what kind of ball. shenanigans did you get into? Yeah. Oh, no. We want a, stories. <laughs> but there was this uh, gigantic penguin. I'll never forget it. The, and then uh, upstairs, uh, they built a movie theater. And then they built a movie theater upstairs and then downstairs. And that eventually turned into the star. Um, oh. Yeah, Fairlane was a place I hung out with. I were Westland and Wonderland. Oh, yeah. RIP oh. Wonderland. But uh, Fairlane, once I started, you know, moved down to the city and going there for a long time, but not for the skating rink, though. Um, so I got a question. So I uh, read your article about um, shopping, you know, local and how, mm -hmm. how much that improves the economy and whatnot. That was in the free press. Yes. Yep. Thanks. Oh, um, thank available you. online. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. What's the re and I've asked a lot of people about this. What's the response for? Uh, and I saw another uh, post on Facebook. It was just somebody talking, not Facebook. I'm sorry, on Twitter. It was somebody who had a bookstore and it was saying that uh, there was a lot of uh, people inside who were window shopping, mm -hmm. and you know they're looking at it and they're checking out Amazon to see the price difference. There's actually a name for that. It's called showrooming. Showroom. That's what it was. Yes. It's not window shopping. Showrooming. Um, which, well, win window shopping too. Yes. So what I what I always do. And yeah, I guess you can tell me this is a retail no-no or not, but I, I do that. I look and see if I can find a better price and I go to the counter and say, can you match it? I think that that's different. I think price matching is different than showrooming. Um, price matching, actually, we price match. Mm. We do that as a customer service. 
And if you come into my store and you find the identical item, identical size, identical color with shipping and everything, and if it's a different price online, I want you to have that item. I also don't want it sitting on my shelf. Mm -hmm. So as a retailer, I'm motivated to sell the product. Um, I don't want to sell it at, you know, an unprofitable price that I can't sustain my business. But if there's something that I should be doing as a retailer to service you, and that to me means giving you the best value, if another retailer has it at a different price, then I'm happy to match it. So I don't think that it's wrong to ask to price match. Um, now, showrooming, actually, I had this recently happen. A woman emailed me saying, hey, I was in your store a few weeks ago, and I fell in love with this black gown. It has these gold polka dots. I knew exactly which one it was. It's a very special dress. And she said, I went home and assumed I could find it online in my size, and I can't find it anywhere. Can you please help me find it online? Wow. <laughs> Now, yes, uh, peacock.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've I've had a difficult time trying to figure out how to politely respond because what I want to respond and I'm going to be very frank here and Joe you know me I'm very yeah. frank. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um what I wanted to say was you came into my store where I pay a pretty fair rent in a local neighborhood. I pay taxes. I pay my employees who then spend their paychecks in the local economy. I pay insurance. I pay utilities. I occasionally pay myself. <laughs> As a small business owner, there are a lot of payless paydays. Um, I traveled to Chicago to look through 200 dresses from that designer and distill them down to the 8 to 10 that were really gorgeous. I spent that time. I felt the dress. I ordered it in. I paid for it before it even arrived. And you came in, used my beautiful fitting room with a lovely chandelier, soft lighting. You used my sales staff that you actually could have asked to help you while in the store. And instead, you want to take the profit margin from that dress and give it to Jeff Bezos. So, you know, please ask if you see something in a store and you came into a brick and mortar space, please respect that that is a that is a space in your community that contributes to your local property values. It contributes to your local economy. It employs people. Um, you know, talk to the business owner. Ask to talk to a manager. If there's a price match that you'd like or if you, you like it in a different size, maybe we can order it for you from the vendor. Um, but please keep your money local. It really does make a huge difference. This gets into the bigger issue. Like Be Bezos is on record as saying, um, your margin is my opportunity. So, yes. And so there, there's this point that, that it gets to a point where it's a race to the bottom. It is a race to the bottom and it supports no one. And I would actually argue. Well, it does support one person. It support, <laughs> well, and it supports if you look at the disparity between worker pay and CEO pay in this country. Sure. You cannot tell me that you'd rather give your money to some CEO than someone trying to make it in your own neighborhood. And I will say that I don't think that Amazon is necessarily profitable. I think that Amazon and a lot of those major retail online stores, that is a massive redistribution of wealth away from our neighborhoods and our cities. And the hard part is when you are pinching pennies for yourself and you go into a, a boutique store and they have a national or international cookbook that you want to buy. And it's like, Man, I can buy. I can save five bucks, you know, and I already have free shipping. Yeah, and you know that five bucks times you know five and this and that. That's what's going through. I think a consumer's mind. You know, I think it's yeah. a lot different that's when you talk about too. clothes. You know, yeah, You're that's not, fair. Yeah, because we're not talking. I mean, even with clothes, like 
if it was something like Hanes, you're selling Hanes, you know, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Well, you can get that anywhere, right? right. But you have unique stuff that people aren't going to be able to get a lot of places. But when you, uh, for me, a lot of this has to do with books. Like anytime, I love supporting museums, but you go into a museum, you know, bookstore and it's like, this is the highest price we can sell this to you at. Mm-hmm. It's not the lowest price, you know. It's, it's, but it's but they're scary. trying to do a lot more than sell you a book, right? Sure. Yeah, and, and, and that's it's like we got we had a, a review at Ackroyd's yesterday that came up that said, that, "Don't you love online reviews? <laughs> I love so, them." So it pops up, and the the, the, the you know they bought their meat pies. They were upset at the price, and and then we get the review: um, four dollars for a meat pie isn't fair. It's greed. Don't buy it. Uh, well, right. Make your own. Yes. And, and that's, and, and so that's what you, you know, they, they walked out, they bought their meat pies and I was like, and then I, I wrote a long response and then I deleted it, which is what I tend to do with, with negative reviews. Very I'll therapeutic. Write, yeah. Sure. yeah. I'll write the response <laughs> and think about it for a second and then go, you know what? Nope. Delete it all. Book idea. You should write all those responses. Oh, keep them all. <laughs> keep them aside. And then put oh, it to- I want to read all of them, <laughs> put Joe. It, put it together, and then you could sell the book. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I, I think um, it, that's actually, it's, it's really disheartening to hear because I, the last time I was at Eckerd's, I actually got a behind-the-scenes tour, <laughs> and I saw, like, the amazing machinery that you have that no one else has, like that the the dough breakers. She's and the, talking about Joe right now. I, mean, <laughs> I think you're right. Those, those guns, man. Those wow. guns are the dough Yeah, breakers. I didn't realize it was that kind of show. Um, but really, like I saw all the work that you put into making everything from scratch by hand with this amazing equipment that's been, you know, some of it's made in the U.S., some of it's imported from from overseas. Yep, from the U.K., yep. And from the U.K., yep. and you know, you can go ahead and make a meat pie some other way that can cost $2. Enjoy it, but it's not going to taste the same and it's not going to be made the same way. And this is the same this is the same point that you're making with this these cure these curated spaces, right? And and Amazon is not a curated space. You can go to Amazon, you can type in whatever the hell you want, it's going to pop up. Maybe in, in some and, in some way. And often you those know. are items that you found through a brick and mortar presence that you're now curious about because you interacted with it in person. Yep. And and the desire to save, you know, five bucks, for example. I understand right. the desire to save um, money. And the desire to save money is strong in most Americans because it's instilled in us. And this this point that Jason was making about like disposable clothes, you know, it's easy to go buy a pair of jeans for twenty bucks. You mm-hmm. know? And I'll look at a pair of jeans and I'll say, Oh shit, it's it's ninety dollars. I don't want to spend ninety dollars on jeans. But, but some it, of these jeans now are like the Selvage or whatever, it's like two hundred and fifty dollars. <laughs> I mean, the first time I looked at the Detroit Denim, not I don't know one way or the other, but to me that was like mind blowing, you know. Mm-hmm. But they make the argument that it's it might last forever. Yeah, like, those like, are. I mean, Detroit Denim is an investment, and they make those to yeah. be an air like an heirloom mm-hmm. pair of jeans. The twenty dollar pair of jeans, you're saving money not buying the Detroit Denim. It, you're getting a totally different product, and someone paid the price for that down the road. So your twenty dollar jeans that are going to end up in a landfill. Probably within, I don't know, a few months, 90% of what's donated to Salvation Army does not get sold. It Mm. gets recycled Mm. or dumped. Wow. So please do not justify the whole, like, you know, well, I'll just donate it. Like, no, it, it rarely benefits anyone. And someone got poisoned making those, or someone got poisoned downriver from the dye making those, or... You know, it's somebody pays the price down the road. So you have to ask yourself with your dollars, do I want to spend this to enhance my life at the cost of other human beings? Yeah, and Joe. that's a question. So can we, well, so, so can we talk <laughs> yeah, about Joe. that? So Joe. when you source clothing, <laughs> yeah. are, are you are you 
going as far back as like, you know, where did the, like, you know, who's, who sewed this, who did that this? That is a who, great question. Yeah. So I think that in order to really serve your community, you serve all of it economically. I don't ever want people to walk into my store. And I mean, you've been in the shop. We have this gorgeous hand-painted room with these giant crystal chandeliers. It looks very intimidating. Yeah. However, I believe in serving all of Detroit. I want no one to walk into that space and feel like they don't belong or they can't afford anything. We have, I would say like our best-selling item is our $10 square word socks, <laughs> which, <laughs> which you would never expect to find in the Peacock room. It's so fancy. I, l- um, I love your selection of socks, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. For men and women. Um, but I really think it's important to offer a variety of price points. And in doing that, we do have some less expensive imported things. We also have a lot of domestic-made or Canadian-made product. Um, and I think that it's important to give consumers choices. So in a boutique setting, we like to mix those. I know that in a lot of chain stores, they're either or. Um, but you'll notice that a lot of the stores that aren't doing so well, especially in the city, are ones that opened with only luxury product. I don't want to be one of those shops. I think that there is a balance of, you know, caring about what you're purchasing and also being able to walk out and buy something. So we try to give a range of options. I would like to take a break because <laughs> we're all a little distracted because Nick just showed up with the champagne. We're waiting for that. Yeah, there it is. Oh, there you go. Such a beautiful sound. So, uh, would you say that the majority of folks coming into your shops are uh, more spontaneous shoppers than a person who's online searching for something particular? Oh, we basically, we don't get a lot of online shoppers. In other words, like let's say there's a vendor that we carry that says, you can buy this at the Peacock Room in Detroit. We don't get a lot of those leads. Um, I think that it's more people coming in intentionally to buy a dress or an outfit um, or just something. They, they're coming in for retail therapy, but I think that we have, I, I would say that most of my customers don't shop a lot online. They value quality over quantity of options. We routinely have women say, I just spent hours at Somerset. I was overwhelmed, underimpressed with what they had. I didn't get a lot of help. Meanwhile, they come into our store and they have to choose between five dresses. They can't decide. So, oh, I'll take that extra champagne. Yes, I will finish the bottle. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for coming, Nick. <laughs> I mean, I'm late. So. Yeah. I'm late. I might as well bring some champagne. I brought you tequila. Oh, thanks. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I, don't have, I don't drink anything with bubbles. Oh. So he's being mis- nice to you're me. You're missing out. Fine. Serves <laughs> you right. Mm. So yes. what is the, is the argument that people, when people are saving money, though, are they still spending some of that money locally as well? I'm you know, like if I'm I'm saving the money from, you know, um, showrooming and shopping online and what's the what's the idea there that still they can spend it in their community or it's it, totally not being spent in the community? Or? I think even if you can save a few bucks online, I think it's great to spend a few extra dollars and invest in your neighbors, mm-hmm. invest in your neighborhood, invest it selfishly in your own property values. Nobody likes a town with a bunch of empty storefronts. It's like a missing tooth from your smile. So study after study shows that there's a direct. Broadway. What's that? Broadway just closed. Oh, the Broadway. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think they're closing, what, by the end of the Something year? Something like that. Yeah. What, what, what's the, it's what a the... retail institution in the city. Okay. What's interesting, yeah. but, you know, I, I, I didn't see anybody uh, retracting their statements or 
or circle back, but there was a really big um, firestorm when Henry the Hatter mm, wanted right. to or needed to move, and everybody was up in arms. And I can't see how many times on my Facebook feed that people talked about gentrification and being pushed out, and then they moved Eastern Market, and their sales went up like twenty percent. And well, and and their market had moved as well. the The downtown area. I hate to say this, but I think it's become really inhospitable for destination retail. I think that the retail that's down there is there to serve the existing foot traffic. But we draw people at the Peacock Room. I mean, people drive from Ohio, Ann Arbor, you know, Windsor. Um, you know, if my customers had to make that trip and then pay 20 to $40 to park or have to figure out, if oh, is there a Tigers game? Are we going to be an hour late? <laughs> right, you know? Right. So I think that... Um, I think that a lot of the better shopping you're going to find is kind of on the outskirts. Henry the Hatter's customers had a very difficult time getting to him because of all that stadium traffic. Mm -hmm. So I th I'm glad that such an institution found a new home and his customers are finding him too. And, and that's a business that we love sending people to. We know that they get excellent service. It's very specialty. It's really hard to find mm -hmm. good hats. So I, I was, glad that they're there. It's not a hat thing, but I always wonder, like down, down the street from here, is that luggage place? London Luggage. Uh, I like, need to tell you about them. They're amazing. It's, I, it, I don't know. I, this, I'm not super cheap, <laughs> but I'm just like, I don't. it seems weird to me to go into a luggage place to buy luggage. I just pick it up at... So, so where do you buy luggage? Uh, I bought dollar store. No, my first, <laughs> my first set of real luggage. Real luggage I bought at JC Penney, mm -hmm. uh, and then I think the second set I got in Groupon or in or Costco. It depends on I your needs. I mean, I I actually went into London luggage. I I was, I think I was coming back from the UK, and the airline damaged my bag, so mm -hmm. I got like a little bit of a voucher, <laughs> and I said, well, I'm not going to give this voucher to Macy's. I'm going to go to London Luggage. So I went, and I I was helped by Lee. She was awesome. She educated me on luggage. I I don't know about luggage. I I went in there, and I literally, with a big giant target on my forehead, I was like, sell me some luggage. And she did an amazing job. I invested in a beautiful little carry-on. I travel a lot for, you know, buying for the stores. And I mean, this thing like adjusts and it's it's got all these pockets and I can pack exactly what I need in the right spot and protect my things. And so I ended up investing like 300 some dollars minus the voucher and this new carry-on. But my carry-on that I was replacing, I had for 20 years. So I really divided out, you know, the, really like the cost per use. And it came down to next to nothing. And I thought, mm. you know what? My other suitcase that I hate dragging because the wheel's all funky and this thing, you know, it, this piece has like a lifetime warranty. It's the last carry-on I'm going to buy. And I invested in one. And I'd rather have one nice one than three janky ones. And, and I think that's part of the value of a brick and mortar is you're not just going to get the cheapest thing that you see on the website. You're going to be like, oh, this looks interesting. Well, you know, for 20 bucks more, you could get this and it's going to last you 10 times longer. You get the education, You get the too. education. And I can't, I, that's yeah. what you don't get from that very impersonal online experience is you get someone that's going to, in theory, walk you through it and hopefully talk you out of a bad decision. But this goes back to hospitality because this is assuming, 100%, 100%. This is assuming you're getting education. You know, you got to go, if you're going to a, a running shoe store, somebody there has You to go understand. to Hanson's, you're going to get... Awesome shoes. Yeah, they're incredible. Yeah. Hansons, Hansons or Run Detroit in the Cass Corridor. I got a running fit. And and I will tell you, and I'm sure, I'm sure people in food and beverage know this. Sometimes the guest thinks they know what mm. they want. Mm -hmm. They don't. It's like Nick going to Legoland. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll be like Ron Swanson in the Home Depot. I'll be like, I know more than you. <laughs> yeah. how, how do you shift the, the average consumer or even someone that walks into your store from the from the model of um, disposable to the model of like cost per use? That is that question. is a great question, and that is where education comes in. It's where interaction comes in. It's where listening comes in. Um, we know that sometimes when someone comes in, they think they know what they want, but maybe it's our mission to actually help tell them what they want or what they need. Um, maybe they've gotten bad information in the past. My goodness, with women and dressing, they've a lot of us have this negative loop of feedback in our heads of, our mothers or a girlfriend in the dressing room telling us like, that looks awful on you. You should never wear this color. You should never wear this cut. And no, maybe, maybe that was true then. Maybe it should be different now. Maybe your body's changed. Maybe you should let go of some of those things that you've held on to. And sometimes it takes a really heartfelt one-on-one conversation with someone. So um, it really takes sometimes just interaction with someone to get them to open up. And then during that conversation, you can take that opportunity to educate a customer on, I know you think you might want this, but consider doing this and, you know, do it in a non-high pressure way. How in the hell do you do this in in the span of like an interaction with someone buying clothes? Like getting them to open up seems like a really difficult thing to do. I mean, you do it the same way that uh, Jason, tell me if I'm wrong, you do it in the bar, right? You get somebody comes up and says, I want to get this and it's the cheapest kind of thing. And you're like, well... You know, maybe you'd prefer to have something like this instead or like you go into a bar that doesn't have Miller Lite or <laughs> doesn't have the type of, you know, Red Bull and vodka you want. Well, instead of that, let me offer you this instead. This is going to be kind of like the same way. You got to do that within a couple of minutes, but, right? But I think the, the point here is that the, the, the cost of entry for a craft beer versus a Miller Lite is much different than someone going to buy a dress at Target versus buying a dress at Peacock room. I think that's, and, and I don't mean to compare them. Oh, in and that by way. the way, you'd be surprised. Some of our retail prices actually rival Target on occasion. Yeah. And- um. But but I think that I think that getting people to think less about price and more about the actual value, value and price are two very different things. And oh, if you yeah. like, for example, if you notice somebody, you know, let's say let's say you're a bartender at the London Chop House, and you notice somebody ordering a beautiful steak and then they pair it with something they really shouldn't like a cheap beer or something. Cook it well done. Oh yeah. yeah, Cook it well done because they heard about, you know, Hey, I don't want to get, you know, bacterial infection. No, like that's your opportunity. That's your window. You know what? I happen to have this steak medium rare and it really brought out the flavors. So, do it in a non-judgmental. Yeah, you can't be way. like, listen, asshole. Right. Listen, you dick. Don't put ketchup with that. What are you doing? Oh, Trump. Oh, it all God. circles back to I, Trump. I didn't want it, it all comes back. You didn't, didn't, have, to back. Say, you didn't oh. have to say his name. Anyway, so you know, just kind of like gently open up the conversation and really, you know, don't do it in a judgmental way. Do it very patiently and and not like said, it's, it's the same thing as the yeah. bars, man. I th- I think. Yeah, I mean the 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 underlying concept is the same. We talk about these ideas um for at the Sugar House, for example, opening a world of possibilities. You know, one of the things we specialize in at the Sugar House and is uh, you know, taking people that come in thinking that they don't like something and then leaving thinking or knowing that wow, I I didn't like gin when I got here, 
somebody took the time to listen to what I'm saying. Somebody doesn't like gin. You should kick them well, out of their establishment. Hey, hey, hey. Uh, they so you're not going to cut it at the sugar house, but that's okay. <laughs> they, grew up on, uh, they grew up on like, I mean, yeah. we all started off with something bad early on, right? And then, like you said, with clothes, mm-hmm. right? Or it could be bad spirits or bad uh, food. food, yeah. Right? That's I mean, very similar. It's because yeah. no one opened your eyes to a new experience. And that's a really exciting thing. When someone comes in and they say, no, I don't really care for this. Well, could you please humor me and try it on? I really think it would look nice with your figure. Okay, fine. And, you know, if you get them to trust you, they, in fact, literally, I came here tonight. Um, we sold a gown to a beautiful young woman who said, you know, I didn't think I wanted sleeveless, but God, I look banging in this dress. Like she loved it. And she said, thanks for showing me something that I didn't ask for. So how long are you spending with that person? It doesn't matter. I'm, no, I'm just curious. Yeah. Like, what's no, the... I mean, my answer quickly is it doesn't matter because you want to make them though, feel, right? I spend the time because they are worth the investment right. in, you get in the that... relationship. And as long as we look at our guests at, not as a transaction, but as a relationship, you don't care. I know in the restaurant industry, you've got to turn tables. No, no, you've no. no, no I'm not seats. saying it like that. I'm just saying for anybody else listening, yeah. like you have to, I mean, if you have to spend some time to earn a customer for life, I don't think mm-hmm. there's anything wrong with that. Not at all. I think that's how you do it. And you make them feel like it doesn't matter what time it is. Uh, we're like a casino. There are barely any <laughs> windows, no clocks. It's like you don't even want the idea of the passage of time. You just want to be there in that moment oh, with that person. You should sell clocks. I was looking. <laughs> <laughs> we do in Yama, actually. <laughs> well, and if you've ever seen, um, I see this more on like Reddit and Imager is they'll be like, I bought this online, this dress online, and it looked wonderful in the photo. And then they get it back, and it just fits them like a flower sack. Yep, you deserve that. So, <laughs> well, no, there, there is something to that experience, to trying it on and putting it on. I mean, I've bought a bazillion shirts from retail environments, and I still almost try them on every time because who knows what's changed. I really like your pink shirt today, by the way. This was from downtown Detroit. It is sharp. Where'd you get it? Uh, top suit? Is that the yeah. one at Easter Market? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, right now we're focusing a little bit on on clothes, but in terms of all of retail, I mean, we're at a loss for a lot of this stuff, though, because, like, I wish I could go to a Toys R Us and buy toys again, right? So, yeah, and well, then stop showrooming. No, I'm. Get, I mean, that's <laughs> go to Toyology. That's part of the problem. Like, like Toyology does a great job. Like people come in to Ackroyd's all the time and lament, like you know, like, well, I don't have a place like this. Well. Keep supporting us, and I will keep curating mm-hmm. your selection. I, I'm very vocal about saying I'm the one that brought these groceries in. Mm-hmm. I am the one that's paid to do this. I will continue to do this if I'm continuing to sell them. But if you come in and say, "Well, I can get this at Meyer for you know a dollar less," then go to Meyer. That's go to fine. Meyer with and me. one day you won't have another place to walk into with fresh meat pies. It's, that's exactly it's, it's right. Simple, and it's not. I'm not trying to be standoffish with people, and the same way you aren't. Like I will spend time with you. I will talk for hours. Like I've talked to people numerous times this week about Christmas puddings. I've educated myself immensely on them. I I don't particularly like them, but people <laughs> love them, and I can I can talk circles around you with Christmas puddings. But why did I do that? Because I care about my customer. Sure. And the fact that you know if they had Christmas puddings at Meyer, they had a whole. Uh, riveteer of Christmas puddings, not one employee is going to know a thing about Christmas. Maybe one, you know. Um, the one dude one empl- in frozen produce. Yeah. Might, I, I, there's no such thing as frozen produce. Well, well but, but I mean, like, you know, like going to Meyer and trying to find guy. someone to help you. There's frozen produce. You know, like I, there or was looking for fruit. some, I don't know, some gift set that only Meyer had at one point a couple months, you know, last, last Christmas, in fact. 
And you go to one person and they shrug their shoulders. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And you go to the person that runs the section and it's like. Mm -hmm. I'm just filling in from the hardware section. (laughs) Sorry. Do you need some spray paint? So I I just like too. I had to. Oh, I'm, I'm going to shame myself here. You guys are going to have me in shame. And this, go is shame. A, shame. this is a judgment-free zone. Judgment. All right, so I... But I'm secretly judging you. I, <laughs> I had to go to Walmart to look for a specific uh, uh, thing for the Keurig. It wasn't a Keurig brand. Uh, it was a stainless steel one. This was recommended by the folks at White Pine as like, if you're going to put your put our coffee into a Keurig, this is the thing that you should use, Right. So you're using White Pine coffee. Yeah. That's so good. I, I Shout out out, to Brad. Yep. Good. Okay, I, went out, yeah. I went out to White Pine, talked <laughs> to Brad. Brad's like, you got to get this. This is the one that I recommend for the Keurig. And nobody had it. So I had to go to Walmart. I went to Walmart. Walmart didn't even have it. I had to buy it from Walmart online. And so my point to that is sometimes you're kind of forced. So what's out there to draw people to find? Like it, somebody's looking for clothes. Mm-hmm. They're going to find you. Right, but what what's going to draw people to some of these other boutique places that have this hospitality and this this kind of stuff that we all this lo- local and hospitality combined? I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I do understand and acknowledge that online shopping is not going away, and it sometimes really does add a level of convenience. Um, I mean, I'll I'll confess, I probably buy not exaggerating two to three things online a year, uh, maybe, and. I have made friends with shipped grocery delivery because mm-hmm. <laughs> it helps me eat fresher more more frequently. Um, I'm very busy. It saves me a lot of time. Um, you know, so I bought like wrap. We were out of wrapping paper at Christmas. Um, so I actually, our shipment was late. Um, so I actually um, picked up some wrapping paper, ordered it through shipped, had it delivered to the store. It was awesome. But... Um, with that, I'm still supporting Meyer, which is a Michigan-based company. I'm supporting the person delivering uh, the delivery. I tipped, which you should always tip. Um, and you know, I do understand the convenience factor of it, but there are a lot of circumstances where you don't really have to shop online that you could go into a brick and mortar. Um, I think that if you're doing your job as a retailer nowadays, you have compelling, interesting merchandise, then you give an experience. And I think that, you know, really reaching out to people, whether it's through social media, your website, whatever, if you're doing your job correctly, you should be enticing people into your brick and mortar to experience it. And the product should sell themselves. And, and one of the things that I like to always remind, you know, retailers, especially like our the small business side of things, it's like price, set your price points where you can make money and make it comfortable for you and your employees. You can sustain. Sustain, exactly. And the the main the main complaint that we get and maybe it's a main complaint you get to Rachel's price. It's that um we're we're overpriced, we're this we're that and you know Zingerman's will tell you if 20% of your employ 20% of your customers aren't complaining about price, your price too low. Okay. And so yeah. the we take it with a grain of salt. The 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 customer I mentioned earlier about the saying that we're greedy, that bothered me because the last thing most small business owners – Oh, my goodness. Uh, are, like, you don't open a small business because of greed. I only it, wrote that. No, to get I, I honestly <laughs> – yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to like lay my cards bare here. I mean I've taken a paycheck less than half of our paydays. And when I do pay myself on average – when I do pay myself, it's I take home maybe $400 a week. I mean, I'm just going to be really out there with this. And I think it's important for people to know 
that, you know, yeah, I mean, small business owners don't go in this to get rich, certainly not in retail nowadays. Um, But we don't get a lot of complaints about our prices because, again, we try to mix price points. Right. I mean, if you can't invest in that gorgeous $75 pair of earrings, I have earrings for $12. I have earrings for $200. Um, I think that by offering that mix um, and educating customers on, hey, these are $75 because they're rhodium plated with cubic zirconia instead of just some cheap crystal. Um, I think, again, education plays a role in educating the customer on why price points are the way they are. And again, because we price match, um, which honestly in like seven years, I've maybe had under five people take me up on. Um, most people, they want to support us. I have the best customers. They they want us in the neighborhood. They value us. They understand the service that we offer and they they appreciate it. And some of them don't care that, you know, they're spending more than what they thought they would spend on a dress. Maybe they came in to spend 80 bucks on a dress, but maybe they walk out $120 later with a made-in-the-U.S. dress that supported my store and looks amazing on them. I like Mexican-made stuff. Can, you know? can, we, can, we, can we talk about the – so you have the Peacock Room in Park Shelton, then like essentially a mile up the road. Just a mile away, which I was nervous about having two specialty boutiques a mile apart. But a mile in Detroit is a lot. A mile in a city is a lot. But this is your flagship store. It's in the Fisher Building, right? Yes. This is the flagship Peacock Room. Kind of explain the the thought process behind opening that store. So I didn't want another store, but when I walked in and I saw a gorgeous historic space that was endangered, I I wanted that room with that stairway. Wow, the spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. We have um we have couples take pictures on it all the time. Oh, I bet. oh it's yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> so just to give your your podcast audience a visual, um, picture you're in Harrods in London at the turn of the last century. I mean, it's beautiful ornate plaster work. The entire room was hand painted. It was painted by uh, Teresa DeRue of Paintwork Detroit. She um, works on the Opera House, the Fox Theater, um, Orchestra Hall, and the the lighting in there. Um, we bought these massive crystal chandeliers from Bonnet Electric in Lansing, 100 plus year old local business. And you walk in and it is just jaw-dropping gorgeous. We have people walk in on Fisher Theater nights that accidentally stumble into the store. And all they do is just crane their necks for 15 minutes. <laughs> like, it's beautiful. So when I saw that room, it was pretty nasty. It was It had fallen on hard times. And... It was this like icky Miami Vice 1984 uh, peach. Oh, yeah. And it had these, you know, these white columns. It had a drop ceiling with fluorescent lighting, which was just an insult to that room. Sort of this room. <laughs> this is different. We're in the We're in a box. Yeah. Um, however, um, I really saw like the beautiful finished product is what I looked, what I, what I saw in my mind when I looked at that space. So... I didn't want to move my store. I love being right next to the DIA, but who can say no to the Fisher building? So I opened um, a larger store. We really needed to physically expand. We had grown out of our tiny little thousand square foot shop. Um, And it's really hard to serve women all sizes. We carry double double zero to 26, which is really a very wide range. And to do that in a thousand square foot store where only half the square footage is allotted to clothing, it's really challenging. So we needed a physical expansion. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to uproot from Midtown. Um, So I thought, you know what? 
I need to make both of these stores so awesome that you'd want to visit both of them in one day. And because they're just a mile apart, it's easy to do. So we do carry different things at both stores. So even if you go the same day, um, I really also wanted this strategically from an urban planning perspective. I wanted to help the businesses on Woodward between the Boulevard and um, the Amtrak station. I don't know if you know where that is, like Mm -hmm. Baltimore. Um, There are actually several restaurants going in, like Dave Mancini of um, Sapinos. And the Selden Standard guys are opening Mm -hmm. a restaurant there. Um, And I I know that, oh, um, Baobab Fair, Mamba is opening. Um, And shoot, there's another. Is Yum Village going in Yes, Yum Village, yes. So like four amazing restaurants and Two great stores, Fern, which is another apparel boutique, and Urbanum, which is my new favorite boutique in Detroit. Um, it's beautiful home and gift. Um, she has like furniture and candles and stationery and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I really wanted to help promote that connectivity. I really wanted my customers to pass by those businesses as well and support them and really support that little new mini district that's popping up. So um, yeah, I, I d- was not expecting an expansion, but when the Fisher building approached me and they showed me that room, I played hard to get, but I was like, oh my God, I've got to get this <laughs> room. A, That's so gorgeous. It's a fantastic space. I, Thank you. I stopped by there uh, when I went to go see Something's Rotten. Yeah, um, yeah. In, the Broadway it, and Detroit series. You do a great job. You have that uh, uh, mannequin out in front. <laughs> so what I did was uh, I went there to the go mannequins to Mannequins by a Michigan-based company, by the way. <laughs> Thank really? You. Yeah. Oh, wow. Out of Berkeley, Michigan, he reproduces uh, vaudeville mannequins. And wow. he actually sells to the Magic Kingdom. So we have Whoa. the same mannequins that- like Disney, Disney huh? that, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I go by there. I take a picture of this dress because I think my wife would love it, right? So I, I go there and then we, we come back to that. We get to the uh, show like way too late and like quickly, let's run in here and take a look. And then, yeah, of, of course, I mean, the show gets out. You guys are closed, unfortunately, but so uh, like, we have to make a trip back. At, make an at appointment. Some point. Yeah, you know, yeah. no, I had some, yeah, but man, we walked through and just like, I mean, there's something in every nook and cranny of that place. And so, how do you color code? Do you have, you color code <laughs> every. Roy G. Hanger. Like, no, there's like, there's thought behind the color coding of that room. Yeah, we really, yeah. you mean like the actual room or the merchandise? The merchandise. So we try, because I don't buy like 10 things and buy 50 of them. I buy 50 things and I maybe buy five of them. Hmm. So everything's very specialized or oftentimes we buy one of something because it's special and you don't want everyone in town to have the same thing. So to create order, out of the visual chaos of so many different things, we try to group them together, um, sometimes by color, sometimes by style or coordination. And it just makes it visually easier to process yeah, when you it, shop. It jumped out at me, the color, like over here was blues, over here was purples, and blah, yeah. blah, blah. it worked out really well. And then you Thank walk you. in and there's like, oh man, there's books over here. Like, oh, hey, there's a stuff for guys over here. Like, you know. Um, we try to do shops within, sh- yeah. a shop within a shop. That way it just makes it easier to to process. You know, I went to Macy's maybe about a year ago and I noticed that they had taken out the boutiquing in the mall, in, in, in their store. And I just looked, I, I wanted like a pair of jeans and I stood in the middle and I looked out in this ocean of merchandise and it was so right. Overwhelming. It's like that. So we try <laughs> like So we try to really like break it right. down. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a guy chair? 
For we like, have some dude seats. So like for <laughs> And if you're really nice, we'll offer you a beer. When, when, when their lady friends are looking around. Usually bourbon. <laughs> yes. Yep. We, we have this beautiful old fireplace. We actually. You know what I'm talking about. Right? Come on, guys. Like, <laughs> the dude chairs. Um, we actually have uh, like a beautiful fireplace. It's a faux fireplace, but um, it, it's original to the space from the 20s. We restored this 1920s dress shop. And um, yes, we have two love seats by the fireplace, and you can just sit and chill. There you go. And, Drink. you know. Yeah. I walked in the White House Black let Market. Let your girl spend everything. Somerset, and there's like two gigantic like Flavor Flav chairs like right there. At least it feels like <laughs> that. What's a Flavor Flav chair? Oh, it has a clocking on it. I know, <laughs> it's yeah. a big chair, man. Uh, you know, it's, it's extravagant. A, what, what, I don't, I don't get the reference. Gold plated. It's by the, well, it's just big. It's oh, just, oh, okay. It's right. by the front door. <laughs> like, you don't have to go in, <laughs> you know, and like, you just sit there and like. Is, it, is there some bit of, maybe I'm uh, out of the loop here. Is there some bit of shame for, like, I like walking around these stores. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like to, like, I don't know, appear that I'm shopping because yeah, I kind yeah. of am for oh, ideas because. Because you're if always like, at Victoria's Secret. Uh, well, but, no, uh, but I mean, if, if Megan's like looking at stuff, I'm like looking over her shoulder, like, okay, it's good, good information for later. So yeah. Like, so for the record, his wife Megan accounts probably for forty percent of our corporate <laughs> sales, and uh, that's why I'm here. Um, yeah. No. And in fact, it's really I I don't mean to be weird, but it's so we get a ton of compliments from women on the store, like, oh my god, this is my favorite place. This is amazing. But like compliments from dudes, they mean so much more. No, it's true. <laughs> no, like, I, I yeah. saw this thing and I took a picture of him like, you got, we got to come back. Seriously. Yeah. No. And that's the biggest compliment because, you know, men's shopping is very different. But when a man comes into a woman's dress shop and is like, dude, this is beautiful. <laughs> nice job. Yeah. High five. High five. Yeah. <laughs> like it's the best because, you know, they typically don't pay as much attention. I think women pay closer attention because they're like a kid in a candy store. And to to capture a guy's attention in a women's dress shop, I think, really says we're doing something right. So so here's the thing. So walking into a Target or some large big box store with, with seas of clothing, it's overwhelming to us too. And like the women's section, the guy's section, they're both overwhelming. When you walk into a curated space, like, you know, if if there's some something that catches your eye, it's very noticeable. And, and it's very yeah. telling that you could like. I don't think that there there are people out there that won't notice the curation of things, but like, if you notice these type of things, like this is like what I'm my eyes tuned to. Like it's very noticeable that this is a special place. Well, in theory, also that you, if you're on the same wavelength as the owner, you might see more. Mm-hmm. So if you're in kind of that same realm, you're going to get that same feel for their style and be like, oh, mm-hmm. this is what I like. Here's a bunch of things. And maybe if you don't, if that doesn't catch your eye, that's not a place that you would shop. So that yeah. kind of helps focus your mind a little bit. That's a human algorithm. You mm. cannot you cannot create that with AI. You know, I can spot a person on the street and go, oh, she's a total Yama customer. Oh, she's definitely a Frida girl. Oh, she's like Peacock Room all the way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will walk up to people and say, hey, you know, and I have three different brands, four stores, but I will walk up to somebody on the street and say, hey, you really need to check out Frida. I think you love it. You know, go check out their Facebook or Instagram. And next thing you know, she's like, oh my God, I love everything. <laughs> That's just totally my store. And I don't care how sophisticated algorithms get. You cannot, you, there, there has to be that human connection behind it. Um, you know, the internet does not know you. Um, it creepily knows a lot about you and more than it probably should and more than you think it does. But, only another human can really get you. Um, 
And yes, when you do walk into the store, if you get mm-hmm. what the owner or what the buyer is trying to do, um, then you'll be much happier and you feel like, oh, I don't need to go to 20 stores. Mm-hmm. I just need to go to this one and you know really have a good time. Is there a point that can you also read a customer on the opposite end that's like all they're concerned about is price. Everything is a, 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 a price op- like so I was like yeah. well okay so this is 20 bucks well I you know can I get it for fit? like do you have people that like that try to bargain with you as well on occasion okay. on occasion I do and I see that as an opportunity for education okay. um and I also have to recognize that I can't be everything to everyone yep. I think as a business owner you need to acknowledge that you cannot be everything to everyone um we you know if it is a price sensitive issue I had I had a gentleman come in um, wanted a beautiful vintage piece and it was actually priced really well for what it was. And, um, he could actually, I mean, there's no way you could find it online. Online, it probably would have been two or three times the price, Mm -hmm. but I tried to educate him on the fabric and this and that. And he kept trying to (laughs) negotiate. And I said, well, I said, you're, you're welcome to, you know, maybe you could find it online. (laughs) Um, or you know what? Um, lost and found vintage is awesome. They have suits too. They're in Royal Oak. Um, you could try, you know, borrow on Gratiot. You can, you know, so I, I tried to offer him other options and his girlfriend was like, buy me that suit. (laughs) What are you doing? Why are you negotiating with her? Like, I really love it. And it's a great price. You know, so it's really an, it, it's, yeah, you're not for everybody. Um, and frankly, as a business owner, don't put yourself on sale. You know, you can't go to your employees and say, hey, would you guys like mind taking a 20% price cut this pay period? Or you, I can't go to my landlord and be like, hey, like, can we like negotiate this month's rent? Like, can I? I mean, I'm paying 12 months. Could I like really pay for 10 though? Like, <laughs> so I mean, really what you end up doing is you end up not not sustaining. So price fairly price firmly, you know, occasionally have sales. We actually in seven years, we still really only have like two clear season end clearances a year and that's it. Um, and if something's not moving, um, that's my fault as a buyer, you know, I, I, it's, you know, or at least, you know, you can get a really screaming deal in our sales. Like we've sold dresses for 20 some dollars on clearance, um, but that's my fault as a buyer. Like I need to, I need to educate myself better on what my customers are looking for. And if I'm not meeting their needs, I need to adjust. Um, but yeah, I think that, I think that if there is a really price sensitive customer, you can offer them alternatives. If they're not your customer, you can direct them elsewhere. You can show them something less expensive. There's always an alternative, but it's not a flea market. And, you know, you really need to, um, you need to rise to the occasion and explain why something is priced the way it is. And if that's not acceptable to the customer, then help serve them in some other way and frankly, send them elsewhere. So one thing that myself and my wife, Lish, are trying to do is get out of that fast fashion habit because it's easy, it's accessible, there's colors, there's all this stuff. Any recommendations as we go into 2019 of maybe people, how people can get more conscious of that and um, maybe kind of wean themselves off of that? Buy less stuff. There you go. I'm okay. an anti, yeah, I'm, an, <laughs> um, I'm an anti-consumerism shop owner. Mm-hmm. I think that people should buy fewer things, buy nicer things, and buy things that you really love. Um, I don't know if you've read that cheese ball book by Marie Kondo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The Japanese art of tidying. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she says... She says, keep things that really spark joy. Mm-hmm. Like, look at your closet. Is it overflowing? Do you even know what's in there? She has no. an illustrated version we need of to, that, too. We need to, like, intervene with your wife. She's out of control. 
Except as long as she keeps buying things from me, she can continue her habit. No, but seriously, like, are you really happy with all that crap? Because you have to launder it. You have to sort it. You have to like, oh, my, my closets are overflowing. I've got to have a second closet. I've got, I didn't even realize I still had this. And, you know, thin out what you have. Think about what really makes you happy. I used to buy, because, you know, I, I was a full-time student at Wayne State, and I was working full-time, and I was totally broke. And, you know, I'd buy stuff on sale or clearance because I thought, oh, I'm saving money. Every year when I would do my year-end donations, all that crap had tax on it. It's like, I didn't even wow. wear this. Why did I buy this? Oh, well, if I buy You were being a good this, American. Being oh, yeah. a good American. <laughs> and, you know, I thought like, well, if I buy this, if I find this type of thing to wear with it, and of course I never did. So I, I really vowed eventually, I just got tired of donating all this brand new stuff that I never used that I bought mm-hmm. on sale. You know what? I'm only going to buy stuff that I really, really love. And I'm going to justify paying a little bit more because I'm not buying all this other crap that I'm not going to use. And I'm going to be happier. And I mark my words, that is exactly what's happened. I only buy something now that I really love. And I end up spending less money and having less stuff to keep track of. So so what do you say about the things in the closet that doesn't quite fit you? But your if you your lost, band outfit from... Oh, there's a lot of things. <laughs> Throw, like, it, throw it, it away, dude. It doesn't just quite fit me, but you're like, oh, I'm going to get on that treadmill. I'm going to work it off. Bye. Just get rid of it. Bye-bye. Okay. Yeah. Right. If, if it's something that's too large, tailor it down. Okay. Um, oh, I, tailor it down. I love having William and Bonnie tailor shop in the Fisher. She's yeah. awesome. She's actually the tailor at John Barbados, so you know she's like mm. really good. Um, but yeah, if there's something that you're not wearing because it lost a button, like fix it. Be a grown up. Get it. Yeah. Get it to the tailor shop. Fix it. Hem it. You're um, never going to wear that band uniform again. Put it in a he frame. Might. Put it in a frame <laughs> on your wall. Okay, put it in a frame on your wall or get rid of it. I don't have yeah. a band uniform. You just, uh, you, know you, you know you do. <laughs> do you like to wear it for Lush? No? Is she into that? <laughs> <laughs> quick, we're going really weird really quick. <laughs> quick question. Sorry, it's the champagne. Uh, the Amex uh, local Saturday thing that they have going on, is yeah. that a real Small thing? Business. Small yeah, business. Is that a real thing? It is a thing. What do you mean is it a real thing? I'm just wondering if it's well, like Amex faking was us. Was it made up in your head? So Amex does Whatever. charge retailers a slightly higher percentage. But you but, get a bag. But you, <laughs> so you get a tote bag. Yep. Yeah. That, that goes um, in the pile of your other tote bags. But they really have, they have done, a, it is a masterful promotion that they've done. So Small Business Saturday to us actually is hugely impactful. See? Yeah. And actually, yeah, weirdly. But you're like, oh, did I make it up in my head? <laughs> like, that's what it sounded like over there. Weirdly, um, Black Friday is huge for us, too. Um, you know, second to, to Small Business Saturday. But we don't even run any, like, massive sales on Black Friday. And f- you know that all the places that do, that's not really a good deal, mm-hmm. right? We all know this by now that it's yeah. all fake. So um, we actually get people on Black Friday that don't want to subject themselves to the mall and they just want to shop in their favorite small business. And we'll do like an occasional, you know, like, Oh, this popular thing is, you know, 10% off I think is the biggest um, that we do. But yeah, it's people don't, a lot of our loyal customers don't want discounts. They want to support us. They want to pay full price and make sure that we're there next year to serve them. Um, But small business Saturday is huge and it's really spotlighted the importance of keeping your dollars local. So mall questions. So malls are going through a rebranding, Shift. if you will. Yeah. If Somerset came to you and said, we're going to give you the same rent that you paid in the Fisher, would you do it? I would. Okay. Um, I've actually toyed with the idea mm-hmm. of doing a pop-up in Somerset. I mean, Somerset. Somerset's a nice layout. Yeah. 
Somerset is yeah, the gold fairly standard. Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Northland's been going through a real great rebranding. We, They've we, rebranded themselves very well. We always like to say Somerset's not a mall; it's a collection. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't. They don't even like the word. Um, Somerset to me is the gold standard of what a, a mall shopping should be. Wait, which, yeah. si- which yeah. side is Somerset? Um, either one. You know what? Somerset management is excellent, mm. and f- I, I cannot they say still enough have about a Chick-fil-A. their. <laughs> the only Chick Fil A. There's one in Oakland University. I, I cannot it's not, it's say not open no, 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 no. It's no. not open on Have Sundays. Have you been to the Oakland University? They're never one? open on Sundays. Yeah. God, this right. is the most controversial <laughs> topic we've talked about so far. Chick Fil A. Um, I think that Somerset is really the standard when it comes to service and you know a beautiful facility. Um, I would love to serve customers in Somerset, and I think that as a small business owner, I actually think that my customers want both big box and independent. Mm. And I think we need a mix of both. So yeah, I mean, Somerset, if I were to go into any mall, that would be the only option for me. Oh, it's it's fairly <laughs> no. for the hood. You got to take care of the people in the hood. Well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> right? well. What's on the horizon for you? Um, we would like to go to online, okay. not to necessarily sell more, but to service the customers we already have. We have had a lot of requests on, like we have 13,000 Facebook followers and they want to just click and buy, even if they're, even if they work down the street. Um, I have a customer who works at the DSO and she loved to order online and like, hey, I'm like a few blocks away. She's like, I know, but I buy my lunch hour and I just like the convenience. So we actually want to add e-commerce as a service, not necessarily as a growth strategy. Hopefully it would be a growth strategy, but our, our primary concern is and it will always be the foundation of my business is serving the brick and mortar customers first. Do, do you have any opinion of these kind of personal stylist websites that are popping Did up? Did you just ask me if I have an opinion? Because you know <laughs> I've got them. Um, I do. Um, a lot of those, I'll be very frank, are not – those are not business models. Have you done any of them? They're an algorithm, right? Like essentially? No, they're no. real people. Oh, okay. Um, I, I mean, I, th- I think they're real people. Do you really know? You oh, yeah. don't. Well, well, people, right. everybody um, wants to be an influencer now, well, right? Well, everybody, everybody's a food critic, right? Yep. Like you go to fancy restaurants, you take some Instagram photos, and all of a sudden you're a food expert mm-hmm. or you're a foodie or you're a – I mean, please don't call yourself a journalist. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's an abuse of the word. Right. Um, but don't, the same, don't look at my business card. journalist. <laughs> <laughs> um, but same thing with stylists. Like everybody fancies themselves as an expert right now. And uh, it's kind of like these makeup tutorials. My God, have you seen these like these YouTube, you know, I know women. The perfect that, smoky eye. Exactly. <laughs> I get the perfect smoky eye the next morning after I don't take my eyeliner off. That's my perfect smoky eye. But um, like I know, I know makeup artists that have gone through beauty school they've gone through training and they are experts at what they do and they look at some of this stuff online like the, these contouring videos and i mean it's ridiculous and and i would i mean you can't read a couple books and call yourself a teacher you can't um you know you can't like check out some fashion magazines and repost some photos and call yourself a stylist or maybe you can i don't know but um nothing really substitutes good education and experience. So it's one thing to have some cute photos as, as quote unquote stylists telling their customers what they should wear. Um, until you have a personal relationship with somebody, you can't dictate to somebody else what they should buy or what they should wear, what looks good on them. Because just because 
you're following a trend that you saw somewhere else. That trend doesn't translate to everybody. It's kind of like 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 gin, for example. Oh, Let's back, bring to up gin. Gin. back to gin. It all comes back to gin.com. <laughs> That's my new blog. Um, so, quick, quick, register it. Yeah. You so can't just drink a bottle of gin and consider yourself. <laughs> I mean, an I can. I'm, yeah. At the end of that bottle, you'll be an expert. <laughs> you'll be an expert at everything. Um, but for example, um, you know, you can't just you, you can't just assume that. Oh well, as a bartender, like oh, you should try this gin. Well, what if what if you really just only like beer? Um, yeah, but this gin, like it was on the Today Show. <laughs> That's nice. You know what? So you can you can show those beautiful pictures, and you can take these cute little photos of your you know, like your selfie with your duck lips and this cute little <laughs> outfit that you found. But, do people still do duck lips? Oh yeah. Oh Nick. yeah. I saw Nick with. Have you seen my Instagram? It's all duck lips. <laughs> you, you look really good in duck lips. Um, but you have the Donald Duck hat on, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I really think that there needs to be some more substance. And you, you know, as a consumer, you need to figure out who to trust. I mean, if you if you see some great pictures, great. But you know, are you really supposed to go and find that one item, that one piece, and assume it looks good on you? No, go work with a professional salesperson who fits things on bodies for a living and know what looks good on you and have a trusted salesperson, that person should be your influencer. And I think that's the pendulum swing that we are coming back from right now is I feel like as we kind of get the end of this year, the end of the past couple of years, people have been chasing a lot of influencers and kind of mindlessly following them. And I think as we kind of come back, people are going to be like, okay, why am I following them? What am I getting from this? What am I doing that? And maybe as we get into 2020, we'll see more of that of people kind of, Thinking for themselves a little bit, maybe. <laughs> but, I mean, you have to assume that these, especially the, like the fashion influencers, like um, th- that they're not responding to people. Like, how would that look on me? They're also Here's, paid. Well, fashion, a lot of them but get free product, tough. and that's what they push. Right. I feel like, but fashion though isn't fashion a lot about following trends, setting trends, doing things like that. Yeah, what's no, the difference from an individual doing it? And like, uh, I mean, brands have pumped a ton of. Uh, resources and marketing into models and marketing up to this point, all the information and social media age is really done is allow people to take that unto themselves, right? I mean, I don't know whether it's right or wrong, but it seems to me in the long term or in the long run that, you know, to your point, whether people actually do start to think about it, then that should sort itself out because some of those people have to provide some value. Some mm-hmm. of them may don't, may not, but some of them do provide some value. I mean, people have, uh, you know, influencers in general, and I'm not the hugest fan of them, but I can kind of understand how they've sort of commodified the idea mm-hmm. of trust to a certain extent, mm-hmm. whether they're paid or not. Some of them are, some of them don't. There are some really, I mean, more in the foodie section where I'm most familiar with, but there are genuine people who really want to communicate, uh, you know, what they see and what they like about something. And, uh, I think there's something to that. You know, it's hard to, as a brand, and you've got, you know, you've got your brands, but, um, you know, you can only speak to somebody so much. And if somebody truly, genuinely believes in your stuff and is willing to be a brand ambassador, a brand advocate for you, that can only help you, I feel like. And so it's kind of my sense that, like, as this all shakes out, that, you know, in the long run, some of those will, you know, you'll figure it out, right? I, you actually bring up a great point. Um, I think that there is a trend of not following trends. Um, I've been around for seven years in this really tumultuous industry of retail, and I've done it by bucking trend. If you want trend, go to the mall. If you want trend, go to J. Crew 
and just do whatever they tell you to do. And it's the same outfit that you see at all, you know, the 10 major women's apparel retailers. I want to follow influencers like like Leah Vernon, a friend of mine. She is like unapologetically, unapologetically black, fat, and Muslim. And she's a hijabi model. Um, I love seeing her live her life and, you know, put a standard of beauty out there that a lot of women don't see. And to me, influencers are significant when they are pulling us in a new direction. Her trend, I, I hate to even call it a trend because I would say she's more of a shifter. She shifts our thinking away from what we've been fed, away from the typical standard of beauty that you see in a lot of these magazines um, and social media. To me, the trend is paying less attention to trend and paying more attention to individuality. Mm. Nobody wants to dress how everyone else is dressed. Nobody wants to look the same. We're all individuals. We're all unique. And I think that the outside should reflect that. And people like Leah challenge our perceptions of where we should be going next with our style. And so for people that want to follow your your bucking the trend online, where can they find you? They can find the Peacock Room, Frida and Yama on Facebook and Instagram. Um, yeah, please, please like, you know, come also into the store. We're in the magnificent Fisher Building in New Center. And we're also in the lobby of the Park Shelton on Woodward, just north of the DIA in the same building as Chartreuse, my favorite restaurant. <laughs> Ooh, could could we my favorite recognize Korean restaurant there too? And wasabi, they do yeah. Japanese and Korean. Could Korean. we recognize the flawless transition that Joe did right there? I mean, that was that was <laughs> yeah. that was very good. That was good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so this is our last episode of 2018. Wow. Hence the champagne. Ow. All right. Thanks for bringing the champagne. <laughs> Rachel, thank you for being with us. Yes, thank, thank you for you. having me. This was so fun. And until 2019, <laughs> dine well, friends. <laughs>